0: Well, welcome to another installment of Disciple Life. I am Carlos Garduño, and again, right next to me we have Pastor Dan's uh, stand-in and our wonderful assistant here at the church, uh, Miss Sydney. While right, while yes, there you go. Meanwhile, back in the house. Yes, I know that was a dad joke. That was a. A pointer to Pastor Dan. Anyway, so uh, we want to welcome you back, and so today we're going to flip roles a little bit, and Sydney's going to be the one asking questions since I was the one to deliver the sermon yesterday. So take it away, Sydney.
1: <laughs> Don't be fooled. I'm not going to be asking a bunch of questions. I'm just going to step into my natural role of a protagonist.
0: <laughs> okay, sounds good. I like this <laughs> no, already.
1: Antagonist. Antagonist. Oh, that, there well, we go.
0: No, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So. What do you think about yesterday? What's on your mind?
1: I really, um, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I listened to both sermons and something I noticed is they were both different. And both of them had different things said in specific sermons. And I just, I really enjoyed that. Like I felt like it was just very much for the people sitting in that room right then.
0: Well, praise the Lord, because I know that it was, it's different preaching to two different people, groups within the same church. So that's good to hear.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you.
0: So do you have any questions for me today?
1: Yes. So first we have a question from Mr. Josh Ritchie. Okay. Um, And this is a really good question. (laughs) Um, How do we reconcile cultural norms of Christians who practice lack of action with belief that God will provide? To me, this almost seems kind of like the American Christianity that David Platt talks about.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So for our audience, uh, yesterday's sermon, if you will, uh, it's going to be linked at the end of this episode. And so the title of that is Living in Extraordinary Times. And the focus of the text was Luke chapter one, the very last pericope or section uh, where we see John is born and they name him, and then his father. If you remember, Zachariah was mute for nine months, and so now God gives him back the ability to speak, and he praises God in a very particular way. And so one of the, the one of the emphases that was made yesterday is that because of who God is, He has called us to live an extraordinary life, um, a life that points to Him and that flows from Him. Uh, And so with what that question is uh, leading to, uh, leading us to is the, uh, the idea that there are people who think, I just need to wait on God to do everything. Now, granted, don't hear me say anything that's not right. Rather, I want to make sure you understand that we believe and teach that God is the one who gives us all good things. And we also believe that God works all things for the good of those who love him. However, we also don't want to go as far as others who think that the Bible somewhere in uh, the gospel according to self, chapter one, verse one, God helps those that help themselves uh, because that's not in Scripture. What we do see is where Jesus, as part of his Sermon on the Mount, uh, begins to tell us that we should be anxious for nothing because God is faithful to provide for us and Jesus enlists a number of examples so he says well look at the birds of the sky they do not reap they do not they do not sow they do not reap and God provides for them then he Jesus points to the lilies of the field flowers um beautifully designed and clothed as Jesus points he says even Solomon king solomon the richest uh, king in record uh, in the biblical narrative He was never so beautifully adorned in his garments compared to the lilies of the field designed by God, provided for by God. And so the challenge to us is if we trust that God is good, then we know that he's going to provide and we should not be anxious. However, to lack anxiety does not mean that we are just going to sit back with our feet upon our table or desk and think, we're not going to do anything because God's got this. Uh, If you have two working hands, ten working fingers, if you have legs that work, ten toes, all attached, you're more than capable to do something and to help your situation along. So we do everything to the glory of God, whether that's flipping burgers at the local burger joint, whether that's being the CEO of a company, whether that's being a rancher, a teacher, you name it. Put your heart into it, let God use that work as a as a platform for the gospel. Uh do all things as unto the Lord.
1: Do you think so say I'm working as a office manager for a Chipotle? Is it enough for me if, to If you're
0: sanctified according to Pastor Dan, it's not Chipotle, it would have to be Freebirds, but carry on.
1: Well, we're gonna go to Freebirds, I might as well just go with Chick-fil-A. But- <laughs> hey, are, Can't mean, go
0: wrong, and yeah. it's my pleasure and theirs.
1: They don't have a lot of those here, do they? Anyways, um, <laughs> so if I were just, if I were an office manager at whatever, um, is it enough for me just to have, like, a coffee cup on my desk that says John 3.16? Like, is that me really stepping into what the Bible calls us to do?
0: Right. What well, does it
1: look like to um, just... Have your career glorify
0: God. Right, and uh, that's a wonderful question because there is a real, there's there's the reality of what the world does not like about Christianity. Um, for whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, over the last 100 years, we've made Christianity, I would say, a laughingstock in the sense that there are people who, well-intending, and not thinking of the repercussions of their actions. Go and do things uh, like, you know, the bullhorn guy standing at the corner of downtown San Antonio telling people, repent or you go to hell. Now that's truth. And people need to hear the truth. And yet one of the things that we see is that the gospel moves further along when you build relationships with people uh, where you actually earn the right speaking to their lives in a very intimate way the way the the reason why I'm couching the answer to your question in this way is to say this we must be wise because you and I are very fortunate we work for a, a local church where we are given the freedom to play Christian music have theological discussions record a podcast that will edify the church body and those who watch online but if you work for a conglomerate or a big corporation, then what you're getting into is the, what the culture deems as appropriate and um, acceptable. And that's where you have to be discerning of the opportunities opened to you. Now you can have your mug, but there, someone may tell you, you know what, don't show that here. And I'm not telling you to shy away from it. However, What I would encourage you and anyone watching is that we need to have a real sense of knowing when the Lord is opening that door and not try to pry it open uh, of our own will. And that means that we are respectful of others. We love people. But when the Lord opens that opportunity, uh, that door, say, for example, you have someone who is an atheist or someone who is of a cult uh, that Professes to be Christian or or an alternative lifestyle compared to what the Bible says and they ask questions if someone asks a question they've already opened the door the thing we need to be conscientious of is answering with grace mercy and love Hmm. and yes you can hear a very loud conversation in the background you're good don't worry it's all good welcome to the family go ahead
1: (laughs) I think that goes for more than just, um, career wise. I, I I like what you said about even someone that's not a Christian. Um, that's something I personally struggle with. I want to pry that door open and I'm eager to try to, but that's an that's an issue. I need to wait. Um, okay next question how does someone live out an extraordinary life in these extraordinary times without getting wrapped up in themselves
0: that's a wonderful uh, question and actually uh, our pastor is the one that want us to answer that yep. because there is a real sense of a, a paradoxical living so if if you are a um, if you are a fan um, of um, I call it meaty theology. It's theology that it's not just bags of uh, bags of uh, skin and bone, but it has meat and juices to it, um, and that's a reference to food because apparently food is an important thing. Um, I would encourage you to listen to Joe Beakey. He is a professor and theologian, uh, and he most recently has done work with the Master Seminary, the uh, Puritan Conference, and also the Shepherds Conference. Um, he calls this a paradoxical living, where there's a tension between being meaningful but but being uh, meaningless or uh, or being perceived by two different groups as opposites and living in that tension and the way that he presented this, he presented it for a uh, chapel service for seminary students that to the world we are going to be seen as fools. But in the, world, in the eyes of, Christ, of God, we're going to be seen as wise. In the eyes of the community that does not understand Christianity, we're going to be seen as um, contemptible. But in the eyes of God, we're going to be seen as victors and ambassadors of a great kingdom. And so one of the things that we can approach from that angle to answer this question is that we understand that nothing good comes into our lives flows out of us, or even begins to take root outside of who God is. So when we come into a place where we are seeing a good work happening from our labor, it's not us. So for example, I'll confess this to you. I don't like it when people compliment me on sermons. And it's not that I don't appreciate what people are intending to do. But I also know that I'm a human being. And I know that... Unless it was prayed over, unless it was me studying the word, unless it was God giving me clarity of thought, the sermon would just be a wonderful speech, C plus maybe. But the impact of a sermon, just to put it as an example, is not in my words, but in the power of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of the listeners. The same thing goes for a teacher. The same thing goes for you as an administrative assistant. The same thing goes for Adana, who's our financial manager, for Lee, who's our lead custodian, for Vicky, who's the uh, associate custodian. If what we do is simply because we need a paycheck, that's a problem. That's looking at the, the life God has given us as ordinary. But if everything we do, now it comes with a challenge, but I'll address that in a moment. But if everything we do, we see it as an act of worship, then we we will come to an, an understanding that We have an audience of one, which is something that Pastor Dan and the pastoral team embraces here. We serve one person. The rest of the the congregation is blessed by the fact that we worship and serve one person, and that is Jesus Christ, uh, God incarnate. It also, um, in answering the question, we must constantly remind ourselves that it is not of our own power. And by that I mean... To quote from a book that sits here on my shelf, and I believe I shared with Pastor Dan for one of his classes, but he went with a different book because this one was a little more than what we think some people would enjoy, is, um, there you go, The Celebration of the Disciplines. Would you please just get it by Foster? So this book from seminary... The celebration of discipline and so what 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 it points us to is that in our spiritual formation as we grow into the into the likeness of christ we know that everything we do is not our own and that forces us in a good way to rely to rely on the following meditation not eastern thought but reading the word of god and thinking on the words, for example, if you go to Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scuffers. That's one verse. If you just take one verse and you meditate on that and allow God to break that apart in your mind and then see how in, in the construction of that sentence, there's so much that can help us and transform us. Then we begin to see God working in us. And we acknowledge that it is not us, but it's, okay, Quoting the Bible, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. It is God working through his children. We also learned that we need to rely on prayer. We cannot do any work outside of prayer. Uh, A.W. Tozer, a great uh, lay theologian, meaning he did not have seminary education, but a wonderful the- uh, theologian and revival preacher, uh, always said that. Prayer is the great work of the ministry. Nothing can happen outside of prayer because in prayer, it's a conversation. The scripture, God speaks to us. In our prayer, we converse with God and we we talk to him. We also go through fasting and studying. Uh, We practice solitude and submission, acts of service, uh, our confession and worship and celebration when we practice those things together into what is called spiritual disciplines, when we are solely devoted to God, we realize that we are called to this great and extraordinary life called the new birth, the new spiritual life. Uh, Again, Jesus talking to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. And then we realize that we are still sinners. We are not fully perfect. And then we come to this place where we see God showing us what he meant and continues to mean out of his word that he chooses the weak to shame the strong and the foolish to tear down the wise it's it's this this idea that god works in paradoxical ways to show his glory
1: so for the new christian that that was um that's a lot spiritual disciplines all these different things, where would you even tell them to start, start to learn, start to study?
0: So there's a, so you said that in my, my, my memory is triggered with this and not triggered like I'm about to go cry in the corner, but rather I'm remembering something. Um, there's a quote from a panel about seven or eight years ago, and it was uh, the late R.C. Sproul, uh, John MacArthur, um, Alistair Begg, and some other theologians in that, in that tribe. And R.C. Sproul is facilitating questions, and he answers, um, what does it mean to be Reformed? And he says, Alistair, this is for you. And if you know Alistair Begg, he, he has a way of just delivering answers. And he says, well, that's easy. You pick up a Bible, you study it, you practice it, and you're Reformed. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a play on words for that. Well, how how do where do we start? You pick up a Bible, you study it, and you're a Christian and you're biblical, which is important. Um, one of the biggest challenges to Christianity, and and I, I will qualify this, to biblical Christianity, is that there are so many versions of Christianity out there that people are easily confused, and so the rule of thumb is if in the 66 books of the bible you don't see what you practice in a church perhaps what you need to do is look for a church that closely resembles what the, the bible teaches and stands on the word of god so that that by default is going to weed out <coughs> quite a few churches also what a, what i would encourage a christian to do a new christian Find that group of people that are willing to study the Bible without trying to convince you of any one way uh, of thinking. So, for example, got to love the Jehovah's Witnesses, got to love the Mormons because they're made in God's image. But they, they preach a gospel that is not the gospel. And so they will come to your home and they will come and they will tell you all of these things about how they want to show you the truth. But just because they're militant about it, meaning they go door to door every weekend. I mean, even in the Latter-day Saints movement, the Mormon Church, they have their youth going through missionary days. They got to go win souls to the LSD movement or LDS movement. Sorry. So what we need to do as faithful Christians who stand on the word alone is to invite people alongside us and say, hey, you're a new disciple. Uh, like our new sister in faith from yesterday's baptism. Hey, keep coming. We want to invest time in the Word. And if you have questions, if we don't know the answer, we can learn it together. And we can go on this great adventure of learning what does God want you to do with your life, Um, which prompts me to another point. Just because you have been called to an extraordinary life as a Christian, it does not mean that you have to be a pastor, a missionary, or any type of vocational uh, Christian minister. You can be a wonderful, extraordinarily called doctor uh, working uh, in San Antonio, Texas, to the honor and glory of God. You can be a teacher, college professor. As a matter of fact, if you're listening, I encourage you to do that. Uh, We need more of those in the world, not just pastors, but people who will go out and influence the culture throughout Uh, not for the sake of a church or a denomination, but to say I do this because I'm worshiping God.
1: Mm. So I have a question.
0: Yes, ma'am.
1: So I have um, personally, I know this goes probably the same for you and probably the same for a lot of people in the congregation, but I have a lot of friends who are Christian, but they are not part of a church. And when you I heard this in a, a sermon or a social media clip or something one time, but it was like, you look at the Bible and it was like, is there any Christians that are functioning as outside of the church? Like they were sent. And hmm. so I just, I, I, what is it? What is like, I don't want to say, are they a Christian if they're functioning outside of the church? I don't mean that by any means. Sure. But does that show a bit of their heart or where their devotion is to God? Um, what is why is it so important to be part of the church?
0: Okay, so I want to answer that particular first thing where you started. Like, does that show that in some port in some portion their attitude in their heart towards God? I cannot see that. Only God yeah. can. Um, I I do know this: if we confess to be part of the body of Christ, uh, as testified in the New Testament, then. We need to be actively part of the body of Christ. So, for example, um, one of my favorite passages is out of the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, you have chapter four. Well, chapter four shows us the blessedness of of this Christian life, this extraordinary life, as we share it with brothers and sisters, because we see that God has given the church a gift. And the gift that God has given to his church are these, the apostles who found the church, the prophets who spoke forth the word of God, and he has given us also evangelists who go and proclaim the word of God throughout places where the church is not uh, established. Then you have pastors, teachers, those that are having given the wisdom as a gift of God and the knowledge to handle the word of God faithfully, To build and edify the church. As a matter of fact, this is what it says here. um, Verse 12, chapter 4. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So, it is important for any Christian that even if they have had a negative experience with the church, which unfortunately happens a lot, they need to find themselves a place where they worship. And it's not a. It's again speaking to cultural Christianity versus biblical Christianity. It's not about the fog machines. It's not about the big the big productions for Easter or Christmas or anything like that. It's not about how many times does a pastor rappel into onto the stage from the balcony or from you know from the ceiling. It's rather, do they have a healthy reverence for God? Hmm. Do they have a healthy reverence? For the scriptures, do they try to edit the scriptures, do they preach the, the truth with love, mercy, and grace? And are the people in this church lower c lower lowercase the local church? are these people about fulfilling the Great commandment and the great Commission? And so my encouragement would be to any person that may be watching and or listening that if you are a Christian, and you think that you can do the Christian life on your own, you're opening yourself up to this this, uh, deceitfulness from Satan. You're opening yourself to the temptations of the world. And you could be in an echo chamber that leads you astray. Um, I believe it was uh, Martin Luther who said, um, a Christian, a lone lone Christian with a Bible can find a thousand ways to disciple himself to hell. Meaning that if you don't have people who keep you accountable and study the word with you, as part of a community, you can very easily end up in a place of uh, self-destruction.
1: Hmm. That was really good. Praise right. God. <laughs> so the second part of that question, why do we need to be in a church? What are What is why?
0: Hmm. Well, they, they, let's go for the low-hanging fruit. The Bible says uh, through the Apostle Paul, do not forsake the gathering with the saints. Uh, we should always uh, think of church not as a chore, not as a checking a box, but part of this extraordinary life that we uh, that we highlighted yesterday is that God has given us this little glimpse of eternity. If you're a Christian, our high hope, our uh, as Pastor Dan would call it, our telos, the end all. Of why we do this is that we get to enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ forever once we die or when he returns. So to ask the question why is simply to that effect we come to church because we are practicing for eternity. Um, So for example here in our community we have families that have children involved in all sorts of things. And there's always practices, and there's drills, and then there's competitions, and it all leads to this one big competition, right? If you're in band, you're going to, hopefully you make it to state, and that's the greatest competition in the state of Texas for UIL. If you're in football, tennis, uh, track, cross country, you name the sport, everything leads to, am I good enough to make it to the big competition? I would encourage us not to fully apply this to church, but to do it in this way. Every Sunday you come, you're practicing what you're going to be doing for all eternity, which is the end all of the Christian. So when we come to church, we're worshiping the living risen God, Jesus Christ, who is three in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so this is where coming to church is important. And this is why church is important. Because we testify that Christ is alive. Because we take it seriously enough that if he is alive, he will come back. And quite frankly, if he were to come back anytime soon, no one knows the day nor the hour. But if he were to come any, back anytime soon, what better place than to be found worshiping him in a temple for worshiping him? with our siblings in faith.
1: I think that's pretty good.
0: I hope I'm answering the question and not just going where my mind takes me.
1: <laughs> well, I have another question. I don't know how to phrase this properly. Um,
0: we can edit. You're but, fine.
1: No, it's... Uh, but there are many churches in our... Um, in the United States, but my generation gravitates Gravitates towards the ones that are, um, lots of music, lots of lights. But the thing that's the most, that just I question is I will often see people running around in circles or something, or just something like that. And yesterday you spoke on worship and you're like, it's okay to raise your hand or something like that. Can you just help me educate me a little bit on, um, maybe some worship styles we see in the Bible or, Um, just different, what does it look like to genuinely worship?
0: Okay. So that's a very good question and it's, it may take a little while, but one of the things that we see in scripture, as a matter of fact, if you read just through the book of Psalms, you're going to see that there's uh, a number of uh, emotions conveyed. Mm -hmm. You also see that uh, there's a lot of worship. Um, as a matter of fact, yesterday, as I was preparing for the the, the sermon uh, delivery for the services, one of the one of the songs, well, two, two songs came to mind uh, by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. One of them is titled Psalm 34. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us sing of his praise forever. Oh, come and see that the Lord is good. Um all that put their trust in him shall never be ashamed. I mean, just just saying the words and not even singing them uh, are giving me shivers because of what that psalm is communicating to the congregation. Our God is big, our God is great. And so when we're in his presence, we cannot but worship. We, if you're a born again Christian, and I'm not saying that you need to fake it, okay? But if you're a born-again Christian and you realize what God has done for you, what he has done for me, you would not be able to to stay within your your skin, quite frankly. Hmm. And so what does it mean to genuinely worship? And what does that look like? It looks like whatever the Lord is laying upon your heart within the order that he has given us in Scripture. So, for example, we see in the Old Testament David dancing before the Lord. and in his, some people would call it hubris. Um, I would call it just getting lost in it. And even to the point that he gets down to his underwear. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should do that in a, in a Sunday service here. Please don't hear me say that. But what we see in scripture, because he's not reprimanded per se, he he's shamed by his wife. But we don't see a... a um, a prophet like Nathan, and we do not see a priest coming to tell him, "Why are you doing this?" But we do see David worshiping without, uh, with abandon. He does not care. He's worshiping the living God, and that was his sole focus. His wife, on the other, on the other hand, Michal was actually thinking, "What are these people going to think of you? You're their king. How did you make a fool out of yourself in front of this silly golden box, the Ark of the Covenant?" And there's right there you see one is one's perception is I just want to spend time with God and worship Him because of who He is, and then you have Michal or Michelle, however you want to say the name, who focuses on what are people going to think and say. And so, if you ask me, I think David had it right. Maybe not getting down to his underwear, but the worship with abandon. Mm-hmm. We also see in the New Testament that of all places for the the first century church to gather and worship and sing hymns of victory cemeteries they would worship in cemeteries hmm. and they would sing knowing that one of one day upon the return of our savior the graves would be empty and that those that died in Christ would rise in glory and would see him and they would see them and they would worship the risen Christ. And so what we see also in scripture is where we are encouraged to pour out our praise, but not to make it to where we are the focal point. Um, I think for many, especially speaking of myself as an example, when I kept, when I first immigrated to the US from Mexico, we attended Central Baptist Church in Diceta, Texas. And so I was given a choice by my uncle, who's now in God's presence since 2008, 2010, uh, who said, um, "You have, you, we have two rules in this house. You use your manners. You go to church." And so, for us, for for me, the the question was, okay, well, what churches are there available? We go to the Baptist church, which is one block away. The Pentecostal church is like five blocks away, and the, and the Catholic church is one town away. Wherever you want to go, we'll take you, but you're going to church on Sunday. And so all I remember was my aunt and my my mother reminiscing on my grandmother's experience of the Pentecostal church, the same little church where we ended up living in Dysetta, Texas. She went to visit, and my grandmother apparently told my mom and my aunt They run around and i don't think that that's reverent because you need to know exactly what you're doing now whether or not they they continue to do that i don't know but i'm speaking to the experience in my family if you do everything with holy reverence you're gonna be okay me personally i love to see when people like what happened what four weeks ago (laughs) yeah i think it was the very first or second sunday of, of the of the year we had our brother, Ronnie, and we were singing, I'll fly away. Yeah. And Ronnie gets up. Yeah, But did you see, I think you were in the choir loft when this happened. And suddenly you see Ronnie, he gets up and he's, he with abandon, worshipped God. And do you see what happened as a result? Yeah. The entire congregation was standing on their feet. Then we started clapping and no one said a thing.
1: Yeah.
0: That's a perfect example of what it looks like to worship uh as led by the spirit. No one was running up and down the aisles. No one was speaking in unholy tongues, which are not biblical, but people were simply moved by the emotion. And usually it just takes one person who is led of God. In this case, it was Ronnie. And then people just worship in a more free manner. Um, I hope that people take from yesterday's sermon that I'm not an advocate for running around making fools of ourselves but i am an advocate for do not be concerned with your neighbor in front of you behind you to the right or to the left as to how you worship god because it can be an inhibition but you must also as you are not trying to get their attention or to make yourself the focal point you should rem- we should remain Thoughtful of how they may be affected negatively or positively by our worship. Meaning, if we do it for selfish reasons, we're taking away the focus of God. But if the Holy Spirit is leading us and we worship freely, much like that service where where Ronnie led the congregation. It wasn't even the choir or Scott. Where Ronnie led the congregation to stand up and clap. No one complained. But there was a very sweet sense of God's presence in the room. That was a long answer. I'm sorry.
1: No, it was good. Um, But it did make me think of something. So I've often, um, well, heard more than once. I'd say at least twice I can think of. But like, um, so when I think of worship, I think of, when I think of coming to church, I think of worshiping God. Um, And I've heard. In the congregation a few times like talking about clothes like i'm wearing my best for god like someone will say something about a hole in a jean or uh, sure. something like that um and where does that even come from wearing your best from god like as a form of worship i don't understand that
0: so uh, it could come from a number of places I, I think majority of people if you were to ask them it would be seen more as more of a cultural thing because it was it was a thing, right? So, if you watch reels of 1940, 1950, 60, and 70, um, and even up until the 90s, that in the 90s is where the trend begins to ch- to shift. Um, but you see that dad, grandpa, they wore a suit, and mom and the girls and the boy, and well, not the boys, but mom and the girls were dressed. The boys wore slacks or uh, pressed down shirts. It was their Sunday best. So, while I think the the, the notion that people have right now is the cultural accepted dress for church from when they were growing up. Uh, it probably came from um, either the re- the way that we see the detailed attention to the priestly garments in the Old Testament, um, because there is a very strong detail for the priestly robes. If you go back and read Leviticus, Exodus, where God begins to tell Moses, hey, this is how the tabernacles to look. This is how the showbread table needs to look. This is what the ark of the covenant needs to look like. Then we see this pattern where God is very orderly and purposeful in the elements that are pointing to Christ. And so in the priesthood in the priestly robes we see that they're usually one type of fabric not mixed that there's they're set with stones and gems and bells and certain types of ribbons and and sashes uh, for uh, up, up, uh, above their tunic because it is a symbol of what they are doing and so there there is a very strong prescription in there for the royal for the priesthood. Um, however we need to also realize that we are not under that covenant anymore. Jesus Christ has fulfilled it and accomplished it. He's the perfect priest. And so we also have to remember that he was having meals and fellowship time with people who were pro- definitely not their best dressed. So if you remember uh, when he called Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, he calls him. And immediately, what does Levi do? Where does he take him? Do you remember?
1: Was it his home?
0: He, to his home. And who comes together with him and Jesus?
1: bunch of
0: other tax collectors, collectors and prostitutes. I mean it I mean it even the, the Bible tells us very clearly these are not the people you want to hang out with. And so you you probably get a picture that they're probably not gonna be the best dressed. But the ones who come in their clean, nice and very well very well preserved clothing are the Pharisees. And so what we see there is a, 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 a juxtaposition between what God is accepting versus what sometimes we can have as tradition standing in the way. Now, what I would like for the audience to hear and, and see is that you sh- we should always give our best to God. Now, it, it's not necessarily the perfect, because there's no such thing as perfect. But we should always strive for excellence in what we offer God. Uh, well, again, whether it's at work, our work, whether it's our 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 support financially, whether it is the quality of time that we spend studying the Bible, spending time with others, even doing this podcast, trying to do it with excellence, even while having fun. Um, and so, what I would I would encourage people is, if the best outfit you have is. Jeans that right now are culturally acceptable to have like, you know, faded, maybe some holes by design. That's fine. Uh, but it, and, and this is also a personal um, conscience type of thing where if you believe that you need to be wearing slacks and dress shoes and a button up shirt, praise the Lord. If, if you believe that God would be pleased with you wearing a nice polo shirt, a coat, blue jeans and boots, praise the Lord. This is, this is what we would call a tertiary issue, not a primary issue, because your salvation is not going to hinge on whether you're wearing blue jeans to church or wearing a three-piece suit. Um, I do would like, uh, would like to encourage you as our viewers, uh, if you're ever in the Divine Area, come and visit us. Sydney is a wonderful hostess, and she will make you feel right at home. Uh, Our pastoral team, Pastor Dan, Pastor Johnny, myself, Brother Scott, we would love the chance to shake your hand, give you a hug, and just worship alongside you. Uh, If you have any questions, uh, there's a link uh, in the comment section below in the description uh, where you will see Ask the Pastors. And those are questions for the latest uh, sermon on the previous Lord's Day. So, for example, Today is Monday, and is the 6th, and so we are covering the material from Sunday, the 5th. So if you have questions after the Sermon on the 12th, submit them that Sunday, and we will address them. Uh, Sydney, what event do we have coming up on the 17th and the 18th?
1: The Equip Conference 2023, Kingdom Connected. Um, That is going to be an awesome opportunity for you to learn about discipleship, great commission living, um, just the meat of following Christ. Um, and so anyways, I would encourage you to come, you and your family. Um, I wish when I was a kid, I would have been drug along to one of these things, like forced to go. I mean, not to make your kids mad at you, but anyways they would learn a lot and you will learn a lot as well
0: so we have people who are coming from out of state uh, particularly Mm -hmm. from this beautiful beautiful ministry i hope you can see it right there uh the lamp house coffee from lynch Uh, Kentucky, yeah, Lynch, Kentucky. And that is with Maritza Ministries. Mm -hmm. We are going back this summer to do some work with them.
1: I'm excited for them to
0: come. I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. And so if you're interested, pray about that. Pray for the team that God will assemble. If the Lord is leading you to support that financially, do so. We'll have them here on the 17th and the 18th. We'll also have Texas Baptist, Southern Baptist of Texas. We'll have Operation Christian Christian Love, uh, Kids Outdoors, Kids Sound Outdoors actually cause um, kids outdoor zone anyway uh, we'll also have other ministry partners and this is an opportunity for you to grow as a disciple to be equipped to share your faith and also sydney what is on mission in divine 2023
1: yes uh, so we are going to every home in divine we have three teams you can be a part of um and this is to share the gospel to let our community know that we love them um and we care for them. And anyways, we have three teams you can be a part of the prayer team, the visitation team, um, and the bagging team. Um, and so anyways, it's an awesome time and it's, it's a really good thing to be a part of, to share the gospel with our community. Um, there's a quote that, um, we put on one of those social media things and it was like, God did not put you, um, in this community for like no reason. Like he's already working there. We need to join him in his work. I was like, oh, that's really good. Um, But yeah, that's what on mission and divine is 2023.
0: So we finish this episode by quoting one of our favorite teachers here, Alistair Begg. There's no one insignificant in the purposes of God. This is disciple life, the Bible and everyday life.